0: So welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm the DJ, the MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who understands all, the man with destructive urges, but sees no evil. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate.
1: Hola, Ben. i
0: So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's been in a number of different bands, most notably the Dream Syndicate and the Baseball Project, in addition to a number of solo records as well. His most recent record with the Dream Syndicate is called The Universe Inside. Please welcome to the podcast, Steve Wynn. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for coming on. So um, so you were a referral from uh, a guest that we had a few months back, Ronnie Barnett of The Muffs.
2: Oh no, kidding! That's that's great, right? That's right. Ronnie mentioned that. Oh, he's he's the greatest.
0: Big big fan. He's he's awesome. How do you know Ronnie?
2: Ronnie, I know I know Ronnie through a lot of shared friends from knowing about the Muffs from um, yeah. from him working at Freakbeat Records, where my one of my best friends my entire life, Tom Brasic, manages the store. So a lot of different connections, although we have not hung out all that much. I think most of our hanging out has been. You know, through email and through Facebook and things like that, because you gotcha. know, you, you I know you asked before we went up, went on the air if I still lived in L.A. and I haven't lived in L.A. for 26 years. I moved away and, and I live in New York City, uh, so you know my connection to L.A. is more <laughs> theoretical these days.
0: Right, right, right. Well, I jumped. I jumped ahead of myself, so I I didn't say um, you know the premise of our podcast is that we talk about music, and I haven't done the all important question, which is the "what t shirt are you wearing" question.
2: I, I I was warned you'd be asking, and I'm actually wearing an LA related t shirt. As it turns out, there you go. I am wearing my McCabe's Guitar Shop t shirt right now. One of my favorite okay. at place of you know legendary McCabe's. You guys know about it? Did are you aware of? Um,
1: I I have heard of it.
2: Yeah, McCabe's is a it is a guitar shop in West LA that's been around since the fifties and it's also a venue. It's a one hundred and forty capacity seated venue where you sit amongst the guitars and percussion items. And they've had people I've played there even with the Dream Syndicate and the Solo. I played there with um some of my REM buddies. I've played there probably thirty times over the years. And they've had Elvis Costello and Richard Thompson and you know, I could I, I wouldn't even know where where to start naming all the people they've had there over the years. I, I and, uh, it's, and, but besides all that growing, I grew up not far from there and I bought one of my first ever, my first real acoustic guitar, first guitar, acoustic guitar that didn't have action five inches above the fret, you know, first, first playable guitar. I bought that when I was 14. So I have a long history in the caves. So I decided to, you know, being that we're going to talk about the greatest guitar record of all time. I'm decided I would wear this McCabe shirt.
0: Perfect. Perfect. All right, Wayne, how about you? What t-shirt are you wearing?
1: Uh, I wore I wore a shirt that ties in. Also, the the I'm wearing my Parallel Lines album cover Whoa. shirt by Blondie, who nice. went out
0: on tour
1: uh, in support of this record.
0: Yeah, with Television. Yeah. There you go. That's a good one. I am wearing a shirt that's not even anywhere closely related. So I uh, I'm wearing my alarm shirt. <laughs>
2: Wait, um, they're they're from the same century as Television, so very related.
0: There you go. There you go. I'm I'm sure Mike Peters has walked into CBGB at least once, right? Sure he has. Yeah. So there there we go. There's the (laughs) connection. Um. So so getting back to to Ronnie, um, real quick. So his his uh revisited record choice was the Knack's second record, but the little girls understand. Wow,
2: bold choice. You you
0: a you a Knack fan at all?
2: You know, I I was when they first came on the scene. I I was, saw them before the first album came out, living in L.A. and being and I thought they were amazing. I thought when I you know before all the hype, before it became a hit record, before we all realized some of those lyrics were kind of creepy, they were just a great <laughs> live pop and playing playing a kind of music that that we all loved. This power pop, this Beatles influence with a touch yeah. of wave and punk rock that wasn't happening. So yeah, I dug it, and I've kind of. Gone, I've gone back to it in recent years, hearing some of those Mac records, and they sound amazing. But man, Doug Feiger, rest his soul, wrote some creepy lyrics.
0: Yes, he did. Oh <laughs> yes, my
1: God! I into that,
2: <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> yeah, did, Ronnie. By the way, I, I have to point out before we leave the subject of Ronnie, which I have no—I'm in no hurry to leave because I, I really dig Ronnie. Yeah,
3: go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for but, it. But
2: the, the last show I played, the, the last gig I played, was in L.A. with the Dream Snake on February fifteenth. At the um, Echo Plex in Silver Lake, and Ronnie was the DJ at that show, which was a really fun night. So, he was my farewell to the world as we knew it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping we're gonna get back out there soon. Me too. I'm. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just a music fan. I'm not even a musician, so I don't. You know, I'm. I, I just get my hap- my happy places are live music venues. So I hear you. Yeah. So so, let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little. Dream Syndicate. So you guys released a record recently, a couple months ago, called "The Universe Inside." Uh, were Were you planning on touring for that record? Funny thing about and
2: that title t- end up being a pretty um, you know, um, um, prescient <laughs> name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, the record came out in late March when our universe became inside most most <laughs> significantly we right. we funny thing about that is you know I I I play all the time I try to play 100 shows every year we decided before the record came out to not tour behind it strangely enough because it is really is an ambitious it's 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 a very heavily arranged complex record and we decided we would either go out and do it right and play it start to finish or not play it at all so we decided to let the album come out Build a following, get some attention, get people to know know the record and and embrace it for what it is. And then we figured maybe six months later we'd go out and play behind it. So in a way, it worked out pretty well because it is a good headphone um, shut down kind of record. You can invent your own your own reality while you listen to it, and we will eventually play it live, but but uh, not not for a while.
0: Yeah, the one thing that I noticed on the the latest record was the songs are definitely much longer. Oh yes, so I, so so you guys were definitely doing a little experimentation for for this record, right?
2: We did. I mean, it's a part of the band that's always been there. Very going back to our first gigs in '82, we've always we've always had our shorter songs that people know and love. Songs like "Tell Me When It's Over," or that's what you always say on the first album, and songs we've had on our recent records as well have been you know, the classic four, five-minute pop songs. But, right. you know, we have always had the side of the band where we love playing long songs. We would, you know, we in a time when it wasn't very fashionable. And that's this will tie into our subject later on as well. But we, we I remember one show in particular, we played in Santa Cruz in 1982. And, and to me back then, I thought, well, Santa Cruz, that's like the land of the hippies. That's, the, that's where Neil Young lived. That's like Grateful Dead land. They are going to love us. So we're going to go there and do our thing, and they're going to freak out. So we went there, and in 1982, in not far after the, the, the prime era of punk rock, I, put, I wrote a set list of three songs. We opened with Mr. Soul by the Buffalo Springfield, which we used to cover. Very good. We, yeah, closed, very good. we closed with our own song, When You Smile, a three- or four-minute song from our first album. And in the middle, we had the song called, at the time it was called Open Hour, Later on, became John Coltrane's Stereo Blues, which became one of our most well-known songs on our second album yeah. and became a launchpad for improvising every night. But it was still new to us. Then. And I said, you know, let's do that open hour song and see where it goes. We played, we opened with a four-minute Mr. Soul, followed with a 45-minute John Coltrane Stereo Blues open <laughs> hour, and finished with a four-minute way smile. And I thought, this is going to be the coolest thing ever. I have to tell you, when we finished that set, I've never seen so many silent, dumbstruck, faces in my life <laughs> it, was, it was it was it was silence and befuddlement <laughs> so right, so, but, right. We, but we've always had that side of us we like playing longer songs and discounting that one Santa Cruz show they've often been the most popular parts of the set for the audience here we'd, we'd people would walk by saying oh that you know the long songs are the best thing so we figured let's do an album that shows that side of us and see how it goes and we knew this record wouldn't we expected off the bat the bat this record wouldn't be for everybody but for the people who dig it they're going to really like it Well was it turned out the responses have been great like over the top great yeah so in a way our weird game plan that got kind of strangely enough um validated by unexpected circumstances our game plan to wait and tour it later is going to work out fine because i think by the time we get out there maybe in 2021 and say all right if you come out tonight and see us play this this club in la or, or Orlando or New York or, or Madrid or whatever, you're going to see us play the album start to finish a couple of the songs and that's the show and I think it actually will work out and be something people look forward to. They see the experience their scenes Like psilocybin My surging psychedelic dreams So just like them I'm ready to be born again Who can say for sure Who can say just when Close my eyes, I know I'll soon sleep. The waking hours and questions slowly seep into one another. In my mind they smother the tenuous reality, sneaking up on me. I can hear those bells again. I can hear those bells again. again.
0: Yeah, I have never seen you guys live, so um, yeah. But, well, I I live in I live in Florida, so the bands that I like don't typically come to Florida. We
2: never we we played there in '84 and never since, yeah.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly.
2: You, you, you mentioned my other band, the Baseball Project, and we play Florida a lot. That's my Florida band, as it turned out.
0: I, I know, and the 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 two times that I could have seen you, um, I had other. Uh, obligations those those evenings. But,
2: uh, we'll yeah.
0: come back. Yes, please do. Please we're, do. We're all,
2: we're all about spring training.
0: Ab- absolutely. we which which I'm gonna talk about here in just a moment because okay. uh I, I definitely want to talk some baseball with you. Um I, I saw the performance of yours that's on the uh, the Wilco Solid Sound Festival movie. Great, great. So, and um so like what songs what songs do the the, the diehard Dream Syndicate fans, you know, hope to hear you guys perform live. Are are there a couple staples in your set list?
2: There are. And the, and the really nice thing, and I don't just say this because, you know, this is a typical thing for artists to say, well, I like my new records the most, but really our last couple albums became fan favorites. Uh, we, the, the, the title track to our comeback record, um, How Did I Find Myself Here, has become the highlight right. of every set. That's become the staple of the set and the, a song people come to hear and glide from the same record as well. So it's nice to have the new era of songs standing up with old favorites, like the ones I mentioned earlier, like days of wine and roses. I would say it's funny because it depends on where we play in the States. People yeah. really want to hear songs off days of wine and roses and medicine show. I think they were the most well-known. Then we go to Europe and they love probably our most popular song, of all of them in in Europe, is a song called Boston from Out of the Grey, and uh, that's a song that was a, a deep cut on our third album. For whatever reason, I mean, I think it's a good song, and we I think we play well live. But that is the one when people come and they say, "Are you going to play Boston tonight?" I say, "Yeah, of course we're going to play Boston."
3: Yeah.
4: Well, I was standing- the win.
0: With with you guys, so you you've re- reformed what about ten years ago?
2: Not quite, um, eight years ago.
0: Okay, so so there's there was a wide gap between you know the the earlier stuff and then the reformation. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. so so are all the old people back, or have you kind of found you know over the last eight years that you've you've gotten? uh and attracted a, a newer audience like the, the 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 wilco folks for instance yeah
2: we it's a mixture of the two the old fans you know because they're you know still, still alive and kicking and seeing shows thank goodness that they're, that they're around but yeah a lot of yeah. new fans a lot of people that you know that that uh learn about us from bands like wilco and yellow tango a lot of people just you know i think i think young fans these days are more curious and more able to research music than ever you know and when when i was getting into music i had that same obsession but i had to go to say i a, a used record shop and hope i could track mm-hmm. down say i remember i remember being 18 and being obsessed with finding records by the standells the band that did dirty water i had them on, okay. i had them on the i knew them from the nuggets compilation i knew dirty water and sometimes good guys don't wear white and i would travel from used record store to used record store to used record store to maybe find a copy of one of their records it wasn't easy well now of course anybody who wants to know about the dream syndicate or the standells can go on spotify or you know or whatever right. hear it in two seconds which you know you can say there's a good and bad about that but it's meant we have a lot of young fans who said yeah i have heard about this band i found them and i dig them and we see young people my other favorite thing that happens all the time is when I, uh, when i'm at the the merch booth at the show, signing autographs, a lot of times somebody will come by who's in their teens or early twenties. And I always just have to say, well, how did you find out about us? And yeah, a lot of them will say the ways I just mentioned before, but a lot of them know. also say, my dad was a big fan. <laughs> so get that quite a bit. <laughs> so,
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, so you touched on the baseball project. So I want to, I, I just wanted to, to say a couple things on that. Yeah. So, um, so Scott McCoy is one of my favorite musicians. Me too. So, so Wayne and I both grew up in Tacoma, Washington. Oh. And, and it's safe to say that the Young Fresh Fellows was part of my teenage years. That's great. Like I, lis- I listened to the Men Who Loved Music, that, that album, uh, at least a few times a year. Because I just love it. So, so how did that project with with Scott happen? And and Wayne and I, before you jumped on the, on to record, we were debating um, which which records is Peter Buck on, which records is Mike Mills on.
2: I can answer all those questions. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's funny thing about Scott is that we traveled in a lot of the same circles, like I, like I was saying about Ronnie earlier, but even more so with Scott, we were we had so many friends in common, and we knew a lot of the same bands, but I think because we toured all the time and didn't live in the same city, we never met in the 80s. We met one time very briefly in the early 90s, but really just didn't. I mean, Peter Peter Buck is one of my longest friends, my friends for, so, for for almost 40 years now, and he's a great friend of Scott's, but still Scott and I hadn't met until the night before R.E.M. got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They had a big party here in New York City, this you know, really, really great party, lavish, great food, yeah. celebrity guests, everything. And um, S- Scott and I, as we've been many times since, were the last ones standing at the bar and, like, hey, man, you know, hey, I can't believe we've never spoken before. When we started talking about people we knew in common, all that. And then the subject turned to baseball. And I think we each knew the other was a big baseball fan, but we were off and running talking about baseball. And I said to him, I said, you know, I've always ha- wanted to do a record of songs about baseball. I thought it'd be, a- I'd been t- talking about this for years. And Scott said, yeah, me too. And we went home that night and my wife, Linda Pittman, who um, was there as well and ended up playing drums in the baseball, was the drummer of the baseball project. She said, oh, yeah. she, she, Linda said, you know, you got to stop talking about that record. Cause if you keep talking about it, someone else is going to do it before you do. I said, you're right. So Scott, <laughs> hey, in the, and, Scott and I in the two weeks that followed wrote almost the entire first album by email back and forth. I mean, we, we didn't collaborate, but he would send me two yeah. new songs. He said, I got this song about, you know, I don't know about, you know, uh, William Mays. He sent me that one. I was like, God, that's great. Well, here's my song about, you know, about Kurt Flood. Oh man. And we wrote the whole thing back and forth really quickly and recorded it about two months later, me and Scott and Linda and Peter were on the first record and really just did it like a labor of love. You know, it's amazing. This story, I think I've, I could say about several records I've done where I say, yeah, we, we just did it because we were excited about it and had no expectations. And often those are the records that become the most beloved records that, that, that I've done. So that, right. sure enough, that came out. And I mean, we had probably the weirdest career trajectory any band will ever have. Our, the record came out almost immediately <laughs> on Yep Rock. So great. We had a great label from the start.
3: Our, great label, our, right.
2: Our, our first gig we ever played was... The night before Linda and I got married, we played three songs at our wedding party. So that's our first gig. Our second, <laughs> our second gig was David Letterman. That was our second gig.
3: Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and our third gig was a, was a big giant festival in Spain that Peter could not make it to, so we got our sub bass player Mike Mills to play in his place. But that was our first. Those were our first three shows, and that nice. kind of you know. Then it was straight downhill from there. No. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so who wrote the the Yankee Flipper? Because that yeah. the lyrics in that is just fantastic. It's an amazing song. That's
2: Scott's song. And it's a true story. It is a true oh, story yeah. about the nice Scott and Mike Mills and, um, and Dennis Dyken hung out with Black Jack McDowell. And, and everything yeah. in the song is as it went down. And in fact, we, we played that once in San Diego. And Jack was there, and Jack McDowell came on stage before the song and gave a very sheepish introduction to it because, you know, the it, it, it detail, it, for those of you who haven't heard it, it's yeah. easy, easy to track down. It's a song about Jack McDowell, Cy Young-winning pitcher to Black Jack McDowell, um, who was a, is a musician, played has played in touring indie bands, and is a huge fan of R.E.M. And he hung out with after an R.E.M. show with those guys and got hammered, 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 hammered. And pitched two days later, and I think the hangover lasted the full two days, (laughs) got shelled at Yankee Stadium, and then and was out, I think, in the first inning, and the fans booed him
3: like crazy.
2: And he gave a finger to the fans that was on the front page of the New York Post, and it said, the Yankee Flipper. So there you go. So Scott wrote that great song about that.
0: It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) All true. All true. Yeah, and I'm happy to say that the subject of your song to the Veterans Committee, he, he is actually coming on our podcast in a few weeks.
2: You're, oh, that's great! Dale Dale's fantastic. Dale Murphy, um,
0: fantastic that, Mike, guy.
2: Mike wrote that great song about him, and uh, and we've gotten to become friends with him from that song and from the fact that he's a big, as you know, big music fan. What, what record is he, is he choosing?
0: Uh, so he chose Hall and Oates' "Abandoned Luncheonette." Wow
2: that's
0: a wild yeah. choice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and I'm, and I'm with you. I, he totally deserves to be in the hall. He does.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
0: You know, yeah. You, anytime you want to talk to Mike about that, he will, he will be
2: glad <laughs> to <start> have <laughs> this. Yeah. My, Mike, so, so, I'd answer your question. Peter Buck played on the first two albums and then Mike and Peter played on the third one. And now okay. we're essentially a five piece band with the Linda, Scott, me, Mike and Peter. And, uh, and I can tell you that Mike and I have never had a fight about anything in all the years we've hung out and played together, except the one time when I said Pete Rose should be in the hall of fame and man, we almost were fisticuffs. So that's, that's, that's how seriously we take this stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so, so who, who's your team? Who, who do you root for? I'm a Yankee fan. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: I I lay that I lay that right out there because I mean there there are a few more controversial things you could say in this current world, but that's that's way up there.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I I don't like the Yankees, don't but like uh, right. <laughs> but I but I just finished reading the uh, the Lou Pinella autobiography, which you know he's definitely tied into the history of the Yankees. He sure is. I strongly believe that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. What are, what are your thoughts on that, Pinella? as a manager. I don't
2: know if I'd agree with that, but I could see as a, as a Tacoma Washington former resident, I could see where you'd be a fan of his.
0: So oh yeah, yeah. I'm totally a Homer. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's He was great. I think it was fantastic. Look, I, without getting in, in, into the weeds too far, my, my reason for being a Yankee fan is I grew up in LA. I always, and this will tie into the record we're going to be talking about, but I, but I've always loved New York. I don't, I don't know the equivalent of an Anglophile when people love England, but I was always after New York, the music, the movies, the literature, everything about it. I loved being here and I dreamed of living here someday since I c- could remember. And when I moved here in, in 1994, being a big baseball fan, I wanted to have a New York team and I could, couldn't be the Mets because I was a Dodger fan. And, and, um, still, yeah. I'm still like the Dodgers, my home team. And so I kind of took on the other team, the Yankees, who were at the time horrible. They were at the end of their long drought of the Mattingly years. And I, and I, uh, um, just was fan, and after that, they proceeded to start winning every year, and became a fun team to be a fan of, and solidified my connection with the city. So there you go. I, I say it proudly, and I believe me, have been in many heated arguments again with some of my bandmates at times about the Yankees, yeah. but that's, that's my team.
0: I'm just wondering if your your love for the Yankees dates back to the Reggie Jackson years of him beating the Dodgers pretty much single-handedly yeah, totally. in the World Series.
2: I, I, I will be the first to say I'm a Yankee fan come away as of 1994. And so okay. back then I was a Dodger fan and I wasn't happy about that. But I always I will, <laughs> I always like Reggie. I mean, the one, you know, I will say that I think it's the punk rocker in all of us and the, all the members of that particular band. You know, the thing to remember about bands like the Green Snicket and bands like R.E.M. and bands like the Baseball Project and bands of that era is we were all informed by punk rock. You know, when you talk mm-hmm. about... When you talk about roots music, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we were all born with a 10-gallon ten, hat, and we all love grandpas, and so we all, you know. Roots music is, you know, is lefty for whatever. because everyone, you know, kind of maybe got in the country at one point. Our roots, all the people we've been talking about, our roots is punk rock. The music that yeah. that, that, that that changed our lives, that, that woke us up. I was I was 17 in 1977, and that was a perfect time to discover the Sex Pistols and the Ramones and the Talking Heads and Television and all those bands—that was the—that was the magic music for me. So that 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 I, tying into this came out of Reggie Jackson, strangely enough. Where I was going to say we were really drawn towards the players who were the most, you know, difficult, the malcontent, the wild ones, the 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 kind you don't get, the kind you don't get anymore. The kind of we really, you know, the baseball sort of pushed out the door, you know, all those guys were badasses. That's what we like.
0: You like the straw that stirred the dream. I do.
2: I love it. I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. sing a song. That's my song about Reggie Jackson. And I, I'm, okay. c- I'm, I'm celebrating his, his, you know, who he was, and what kind of a guy, what an arrogant um, prick he was. Are we still PG? What an arrogant prick Reggie was. <laughs> he,
0: he, he definitely was. So I'm, I'm an autograph collector as well. Yeah. So, you know, back, back when he was, you know, I guess my first interaction was when he was with the angels and I asked him for an autograph and he just kind of looked at me with a sneer and walked away. He did. Oh man. But, um, years later, um, this is totally off, off, uh, uh, tangent world here. Um, when I was in college, Reggie had a candy bar that coincided with him being inducted into the hall of fame. Uh, yeah, yes. guys. Guys, remember that it was it was pretty much a really bad version of Baby Ruth. It's in my
2: song. It's a, it's in the song.
0: Yeah, and and me and one of my college roommates, they included this little card set in the in the candy bars, and so we made it a goal that we wanted to get the entire set. And I think there was like I don't know five or six cards or something like that, and. Um, we kept getting the same cards over and over again. <laughs> we fi- we we finally completed the set, and just a couple of years ago, he, Reggie was golfing in a uh, celebrity uh, golf tournament here in Orlando, and I got him to sign one of those cards, and it's oh, one of my <laughs>
3: that's
0: one of my prized possessions as far as the you know the Hall of Famers go, wow. and he yeah. couldn't have been couldn't have been nicer like the 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 veneer that i got you know you know you know decades ago and getting him maybe maybe uh retirement has has done him well so
2: he is he's a unique figure i love yeah. to meet him i as i say in the song um i'm a card-carrying member of mensa i've got mvp trophies on my credenza <laughs> i one, so, one of my favorites <laughs>
0: so, so great so great
2: I was very proud of Ryan Menza with
0: credenza.
2: I think I don't, I don't think it's been done before.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so you and you guys you guys don't just sing about you know the the the, the big names. Uh, you've also got a song for Larry Yount, who uh, you know left a game during his warm up pitches, so he doesn't even have anything in the record books. No. Right.
2: No. See, yeah. Uh, he's he's in the record books with zero. One game, zero innings pitched, and that's his his line. Right, yeah.
0: right. Wayne, are there are there any interesting players that uh, the Baseball Project should write a song about? And you can't say Fernando Valenzuela because there's oh, that, already that one. Did that. That did that? Did
3: that? You know,
1: yeah. The guy, I, the guy I always uh, admired just for uh, was Bob Gibson. He was so dominant, and and he's yeah. just so he's just not a household name like I think he should be.
2: I agree. I think he'd make a great song. That, that's, that's somebody i thought about writing a song about. So I might take you up on that one. We were, we were supposed to make a new album, um, in August, this coming August. We were all set up to make it, um, make a new album. That's not going to happen now, but we're still, you know, on, um, on tap to do that at some point.
0: Very good. Do you, do you have any songs that mention, uh, Greg, the bull Luzinski?
2: No, <laughs> that would be great. I could see that. He should be in the song. Right.
0: Yeah, him, him, and John Kruk both should be in us. I
2: mean, you know, we, we 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 will never run out of songs. That's the, that's the beauty no, no. of you know, it. I always say about that band, you know, compared to, you know, in, 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 you know, in contrast to the Dream Syndicate or my my solo records, where you, sometimes you just think I don't know what to write about. I run dry. You have writer's block. Baseball, you just open up the baseball encyclopedia or watch the Ken Burns special or something, and you've got ten, right. or, ten more songs.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna write a song about Jack Bracani. Here we go.
2: Wait a second. <laughs> Consider me writing. I'm, I'm scribbling down right now. <laughs> I'll look that up.
0: <laughs> Anyways, that's that's my my long diehard Seattle Mariners roots uh, showing. So, all right. Well, uh, Steve, tell tell us what record you uh, you chose to revisit for this episode.
2: When you invited me to be on the show, it's it's hard to choose just one, and I kind of went through my role you know, a usual. Rolodex of favorite records, you know, I've, I've, I can sort of always recite my favorite ten albums, like almost like you know a catechism or something like that. But I, uh, the one that I always come back to is Marky Moon" by Television, which I just when I, you know, it, when I favorite album of all time at various points, it's been "Exile on Main Street" or maybe there's a riot going on by slime and Family Stone. This one is probably the the one for me, the record that I never get tired of. I always find new things to love about it, and I just. I was decided that's what we're going to talk about.
0: Yeah. And when you, uh, when you, you know, made your final choice, I had listened to your, your most recent record, the universe inside and got your email. Hey, let's, let's do Marky moon. And I'm like, Oh, I, t- now I totally hear the influences. Mm.
2: And it's funny you said, because, you know, we, we were always saddled, especially back at our, the, the, our first go round in the eighties. We were it always saddled with the velvet underground which is fair enough we had that that was there
3: sure and yeah.
2: and my my general response to that was like yeah we got we we like the velvets no lie I, I can see it but you know when people say you're ripping off the velvets i say oh we're ripping off a lot of bands you have no idea <laughs> 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 would you like me to make a list Let's
1: start a list yeah, yeah.
2: Would you like to say, start a list and and but television i think has always been kind of at the center of what i've done with every project I've done, you can I, I can hear it. Like you say, there's there's a certain kind of way of writing riffs or mm-hmm. way of interlocking two guitarists. You know that, that 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 I always look for in the music I do, and that yeah, I have finally found the best sparring partner for that, love, that that kind of music I love with Jason Victor, who plays in the Dream Syndicate and played with me in my solo band for the last twenty years. With the, we kind of have our own way of our own version of the Verlaine Lloyd guitar duo. And yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's there loud and proud the, when we play together. That's, that's, you yeah. know, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's a kind of, it's a thing. It's a thing that to me is an automatic thing about hearing two guitars, not just where a oh, one guy plays rhythm, and the other guy plays lead, but where the parts interlock. And that's the thing right. that, that I love about say Quicksilver messenger service, or I love about um, um, crazy horse at their best, or, you know, A handful of other bands but it's not it's not something that every band does you know a lot of bands are just pop bands with the guitars bounce around under in service of the song or bands or guitar hero bands where you know someone's shredding mark i've always said about mark Moon. the thing i love about it is like it's like being a watchmaker looking at the gears turning in a a beautifully made watch and every time i listen to a record i think nothing is out of place nothing is nothing is it's all there for a reason and there's no wasted energy or space. And it's funny because when I first heard it in the punk rock days, I thought, oh, they're, you know, they're jamming or, oh, you know, they're, 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 um, they're wild and raw. And I began to realize it is one of the most meticulously made records you're ever going to hear.
0: Yeah. 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 That I, you bring up a good point about the, the, you know, interlocking the two guitars and not having one be a, you know, a quote unquote lead guitar and another right. one being the rhythm guitar is I'm totally drawn to, uh, to bands that, that can kind of incorporate that. Like I'm, a, I, I will readily admit I'm i I'm a big Wilco fan and I wish that, that Tweety would sometimes lose the acoustic guitar and, yeah. Just, just go. He's a great guitarist. Yeah. He's a great guitarist. Yeah. And just go, just go with Nels and like one of my favorite Wilco songs is a song called At least That's What She Said or What You Said. And um if you've ever seen that live, uh you know, Tweety and Nels feed off of each other on the guitar work and it's just magical.
2: It's you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, um, yeah impossible germany the, 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 that that that's that's
0: yes that, that
2: there is yes. an action that that's great. the last day job the, the last non-music gig i had was working at rhino the rhino record store in westwood in la uh, I, I worked yeah. there i worked to 82. I, I was working there when days of wine and roses came out and uh, then quit because we started touring but i worked the day shift and my partner on the day shift for for a year was nels nels and i worked oh on my side. Nice. Um, at, at Rhino and and, and and we so we hung out quite a bit. And at the time, Nels was a you know made jazz records. He was in, he made his um, he had a pretty good catalog. He was, despite being a little older than me, may, I, I'm guessing maybe he was twenty five to my twenty one. I don't know at the time, but okay. I, but I thought saw him as like this elder statesman, Mike, because he'd made records with Anthony Braxton, a jazz legend. He'd been you know, yeah. he, he played great jazz. Club. I thought, God. But the funny thing is, Nels at the time was not a big rock fan. He might, he might dispute this, but my, from working side by side, he would, he would put on jazz records, but wouldn't have much thought on rock records, except he would, he was a fan of early Rolling Stones records, like the, you know, pre aftermath records. And he loved Marquee Moon. So that was like, that was kind of, it all makes sense. That was the record when he put on a rock record, it was Marquee Moon or the, the first two Berlin solo albums. You know,
0: and he's, yeah, and he's still putting out jazz records.
2: Yeah, he's great. And what amazing
0: guitarist! Yeah, yeah, amazing.
2: And, amazing, and great guy. Great guy to work with.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get a little bio info on Marky Moon. So this was the this was considered the debut record, I think. Uh, they had some. Did they have some singles out before this came out yeah. as an album? They had
2: little, little Johnny Jewel was the first thing they put out on Orc Records.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, great right.
2: and a great song.
0: So the, this was released on February 8th, 1977, and it was put out by Electra. Um, safe to say that album sales were not super high in the U.S. However, uh, they did have some commercial success in the U.K., yeah. which we'll, we'll we'll chat about. Uh, you mentioned um, the, the, the frontman Tom Verlaine. And uh, guitarist Richard Lloyd, uh, yes, Tom Tom is also one of the guitarists for, for that, um, and really a big part of the New York scene of the the seventies. I know that a lot of people have said um, that this is a a punk record, and maybe it kind of is, but I don't know what 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 are you guys' thoughts on on Marquee Moon as a punk record
2: i mean i i felt i felt like at the time like like it was because it was in that scene but but you know when i first everybody has you know what maybe for some people who are of the age where you experience punk rock in real time like i was uh, there's always the record that helped you to make sense of the whole thing you know i wasn't yeah. i uh, punk rock like what kind of you you, you cracked the rosetta stone of the whole thing and i had a few like the first talking his record and 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 um and Rocket to Russia by the Ramones. But it was, I think when I heard the song Elevation, that was the one, when I, everything opened up. I heard that and said, oh, I get this because it is raw. And it's what I think of as And the singer sings kind of funny. So that's weird, you know, and, and, but at the same time, it's just kind of classic rock and roll. Like, you know, I mean, maybe I, I think I'd grown up maybe listening to, for example, Abraxas by Santana, you know, and, and, and it wasn't that far from that. Um, yeah. It's 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 funny because I've you know again the incessant name dropping because that's how it works in our lives we everybody knows everybody but I've I've gotten to know Richard really well in fact Richard and I toured together for three three weeks in the states and we've hung out a lot and written and recorded together we become friends mm-hmm. over, over time and oh. I I talked to him at one point and I and I I, I kind of I got into the Almond Brothers late in life I didn't like them at all growing up but then when I hit like forty. I had an epiphany of like, oh, this is the greatest band ever, and I became a fan. Still am, and I suddenly thought, oh, you know, now I go back as an Almond Brothers late blooming fan, and I can hear that in Marquee Moon, and I, like, so I, 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 talked to Richard about it, and I said, I said Look, I'm thinking you guys will listen to the Almond Brothers, like, particularly on Elevation, and he said, no, I was just, I was just trying to write a solo that felt like Stairway to Heaven, like, wow. Okay, I, I wouldn't have thought that, but that makes sense now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Wayne? What do you, th- what do you think of this as a punk, uh, punk record?
1: What, and that's how it's always been categorized. And it's, um, I will admit when I went into it, I went into it with this pretentiousness about, oh, this is overrated. And I, I, I found, I, <laughs> I should have known better from the Joni Mitchell blue, but, uh, I went into yeah,
0: it. Yeah, you should have.
1: And you know, it's a critical darling and it's always on these lists and you, and I've had it digitally and, and I've put it on a couple of times and, but putting it on and really paying attention to it, it, it it's, it's, it's seduced me. Like first I listened to it the first time and I had this, psh, you know, it's a Rolling Stone critical album. They love it. And I don't, you know, it's much, it's overrated. Uh, but it's not, it, it's, I, I, it's literally everything that they say it is. It just takes time. And even when I looked at it from a sense of, 1977 because i think even today it holds up it's still it's still not like anything else and then you put it back into 1977 it had to really blow people's mind and i don't know what you i mean i think in the beginning it and i'll even in in my discussion on the songs i think that first song is the prototypical punks is most is the most prototypical punk song on here and it kind of anchors everything else. Everything else is a little bit further away from it than that. Mm. But it's just, it, I don't know if there was a way to describe it. So you know what? They played at CBGB, so they must be a punk band.
0: Right. Right.
2: That's a good point. And it's a good point you make too, uh, um, is that the scene evil does feel more right down the middle as a punk song that, that, that kind of would fit in with other CBGB's bands, kind of lean, mean fighting machine kind of stuff, you know, and, 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 but you're right, after that song, it goes out to a whole different place. It never never really they never, they don't come back with the other the other pop song or the other, you know, song that, that's that's sort of that's the the, the Trojan horse to the the sense of what is almost like a prog record in a way, you know, but no one would yeah. have thought of it that way. Yeah. And it's funny about this record because I just say for a record I love so much and obviously I do it's weird, to me, because I generally don't like singing like that. The way he's, I'm not. Uh, it's not my favorite kind of singing. I'm also <laughs> not, and this is a weird thing. I'm not that big a fan of the lyrics. There are some lyrical gems on this record, some things where I go, wrong. you know." <sighs> yeah, Richard, I, I couldn't let's, agree
1: let's, more. Because let's,
2: let's, 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 let's justify cops, see if we can get away with like, "What a great line!" But for the most part, it's not my. Kind, I don't. It, it's inexplicable why I love this album so much, but it's not the vocals or the lyrics.
1: I I agree. His voice should be more annoying, it, and it, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, listening to it, I think the first time, maybe not have ever ever hearing him before. You're like, oh, no. And then but listening to it, I even thought of that as like I this should be more annoying than it is to me. It's it's not. And lyrically, you're right. He I don't there's certain lines that have really like really would resonate. But all in all, it's very difficult to piece together. And some of it just sounds like he's writing poetry. And I I'm. I, I missed that class in college and I can't figure out what he's talking about, but some of the lines are just so brilliant.
2: <laughs> I don't think he missed anything. I mean, I, I, think, <laughs> I, I think, I think the DD Ramones are better poets than Tom Verlaine, but that's, you know, that <laughs> and, I, and I'm not saying that in a kind of a glib way. It's like, you know, I really think that the Ramones had incredible lyrics that are, you know, they're under, they're underrated. Oh,
1: especially DD. Yeah. I think DD Dee yeah, were the, it's the it's better ones.
2: Amazing, you know, so, but you know, I can't imagine any other singer, or any other style lyrics for this record. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't want to hear anything else.
0: Yeah. Agreed.
2: I'm, I'm pausing. I'm pausing because I'm hearing what sounds like gunshots. That sounds on like my window, but it might be viral. <laughs> <laughs> hey, New York city.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: It all ties in.
0: So, so we, t- we have talked about the Rolling Stone, uh, top 500 greatest albums of all time. Um, any guesses where Marquee Moon lands in, in that list?
2: I'm gonna, nice. I, I'm gonna say number one twenty eight. I'm
0: gonna say I'm gonna say top hundred. Yeah, it's uh it's one twenty eight, and Ooh. some of the records that are around it, uh, "Paranoid" by Black Sabbath, <laughs> "Saturday Night Fever" soundtrack. Um, it's ahead of "The Wild," "The Innocent," and "The East Street Shuffle" by Bruce Wayne. We we did uh, we did an episode on the Talking Heads' "Remain in Light." That's just ahead of Marky Moon." <laughs>
2: That's a great
0: album, yeah. yeah. So it's so it's definitely within some 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 good company there. Um, all right, should we should we jump in at it? Let's let's do the the track by track. Okay. Uh, as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on number of songs on the record. So Wayne, how many songs on this record? Only eight. Which means our top song is going to get eight points. Next favorite, seven points. On down to lowest score of one. Here we go. Let's kick this off. Here is See No Evil. I think that you already mentioned, uh, see no evil. So great album opener.
1: Yeah. And like I say, for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, I think it, it starts in one place only to, for more, you know, bait and switch. I mean, it's trick, it's going to show you this one thing. And it's gonna take you someplace else. But like I say, this one is the most prototypical punk. He's got a little bit of snarl in his voice. There's a little bit of distortion in the guitars. I mean, the opening lines are "What I want, I want now." Uh, it's it's very, it's it's got a lot of elements of your standard punk rock song. But then, but it just it just only cracks the surface on what the the driving force of this record is those two guitars. Yeah, by far. very
0: much. Yeah, very much so.
2: Yeah, and we were talking about the the rhythm lead guitar type thing. And one thing I didn't want to mention is there really isn't any rhythm guitar on this record. There isn't any, there's never a time where somebody just strums some chords. I don't think Mm. a single time on the whole record where somebody plays a six string chord, like, like, like like you hear in most records. And so this song comes out of the gate with two perfect parts together. That one you and yeah. what a way to start a song my god you know we've all been trying to write that song ever since and then the and then, <laughs> and then and then and then the, the, the lick you know it comes off, off, off over that and like oh my god right away you have this crazy you know lattice work going on and that kind of sets the tone for the whole record it's like oh I don't know what's gonna be happening but two guys are playing off each other in a way that you know, I can't believe that. that so it, it is, it is, like I said, it is, it is the punk rock Trojan horse, but it also is kind of like the manifesto right of the bat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Lyric Lyrically, lyrically, we already touched on, you know, there's, there's, it's not super strong lyrically. However, they do throw a couple of these one liners that are just fantastic. Like uh, in this song, I get your point. You're so sharp. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I definitely circled that. I was like, great line. But the, the line right before it is, I want a nice little boat made out of ocean. And I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? That's so, a good one.
2: That's a good one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, and then of course, uh, you know, the getting good reactions with your evil talk. And I was like, man, that seems like a line that's talking about our times right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah and that was this was uh decades ago that this was written all right anything else on uh things see no changed. evil that they we changed. want to they touch changed. Changed. on these things remain the same
2: yeah no i mean yeah. it's it's just fantastic
0: yeah all right let's get some scores on this so wayne this was my favorite song uh, all right right. Eight. all right and steve your score
1: I think I had
2: I'm trying to read, I'm trying to read read the formula here. I oh that was my 7. So that was that was my second favorite.
0: That's uh, that's it. Yeah. And this is my second favorite as well, so this is my 7. So that ranked pretty well. Yeah, next next song is Venus. And uh, of course the punchline on this is that he falls into the arms of Venus and that's <laughs> Venus, Venus de Milo, which of course, if you know the statue, uh, yeah, she's missing she her no arms. arms. Yeah. Right. Right. It, has anybody seen the Venus in person? Well, I have not. Have you? Yeah. I have not. It's in the Louvre. Uh, right. one of these days I'll get there. Um, what do you guys have to say about, uh, about Venus?
2: You know, I, I know you sent me the lyrics and I don't have them in front of me. And I should know them by heart. But the, I, I do love the meta angle where he talked about Richard said, let's dress up by cops and see what, see what we can get away with. I think it's a line you might
1: have. A little yeah, that's that's I, a great. I mean, this song has a because, like I say, this, you can see it slowly drifting away from that, from where it started. It's not a it's not a huge leap. it's a small one, but the lyrics are very skeletal. There's like this outline of this story of him and his actor buddy Hi, hanging out in New York City. The line that always I love is the world was so thin between my bones and skin. It just I don't I, I don't even know what he's saying. Like I don't know what he's saying about the world. I mean, is he is he is it sinking into him? Is it starting to get under his skin? I don't even know, but I just love that line.
2: Yeah. As a person who was fascinated with New York, New York like I was, things like Broadway look so medieval, you know, seem to flap like little pages. I mean that that, that is just, you know, to me that I thought Oh yeah, that must be what New York feels like. It really it's pretty descriptive.
0: And did did it fit? Does it, it fit?
2: It does. I'm yeah. still, still yeah. trashed. Yeah. Yeah, and the
0: and the line that you were mentioning was then Richie. Richie said, "Hey man, let's dress up like cops. Think of what we could do. And we could do but yeah, something. Yeah. Something." It said, "You better, better not." Not yet. <laughs> yeah. I think
2: what we could do. That's the last thing I knew. I knew I was had that wrong.
0: Yeah.
2: But yeah,
1: great.
0: And I'm sure Richie is Richard Lloyd, right? It seems like he must. Although,
1: then again, it could be Richard. It could be Richard
0: Hell. So it's hard to say. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it no. sure
1: depends on how old the song
0: is. Yeah, right. 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 All right. Uh, let's get some scores on Venus. Uh, this is my five, Steve.
2: I believe I had that as my shockingly as my right in the middle, my four, I believe, which is it, it no reflection on the song, just how much
0: I love the album. Right, and then Wayne. And I put it as
1: my seven. It's my second favorite. I love that kind of old '60s thing they have in there, where the where the rest of the band is kind of almost like asking them a question, and the lead singer is kind of answering just to that them. Is- it gave it this, like I say, it's it's floating away from that real punk rock sound in the first one, and it's just getting smarter and more sophisticated as it goes. And, and I and I I loved it. And,
2: yeah. what a, and what a great solo! Which you can say about every song on the record, but that's solo, the solo is <laughs> so lyrical and beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, next song is Friction. Get a little bit of a country western vibe at the beginning of this. this song? I got
1: a. I got the 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 kind of the initial part and the like what would be considered the verse part felt very uh, like had an influence of their contemporaries the Talking Heads and then the chorus and the lead into the chorus was so Stooges.
2: Oh, okay, I can hear that. I, I can hear the Stooges thing. I can, it seems elements where it could be a song off Funhouse. Like I, I never thought about that. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because for. In the time before Days of Wine and Roses, before our first album, and and the weird thing when I think about it now, looking back is, there was only five years between this record and the Days of Wine and Roses, which is no time whatsoever, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things. But at the time, but to me at the time, this record was ancient history. I mean, like this was the Bible. And I would practice my guitar to this record every day for hours. I just, I just made it my thing to learn how to play along with this record. And I, and that's probably why it has such a strong influence. And it's, it's, yeah. it's always going to be there. But I haven't covered many songs on this record over time. I did cover Friction last fall at a show in New York with with a great guitarist. You may or may not know, and Chris Forsyth. He's made some incredible records and and become pretty popular. In that sort of, he actually is is a student and disciple of Richard Lloyd. And that's kind oh. of how he began. Mm-hmm. And he's made these very well regarded. Well, you know. Um, great albums and we did a show together kind of of all covers and we played friction and i sometimes playing a song live makes you appreciate it more than ever and the being on stage with somebody who did the song inside out i could really appreciate the complexity of the song and how it, you know how those risks have to happen exactly the way they do and if you become derailed at any point you lose the song
0: Right, right, yeah. I would. I was just going to ask. So, is it is it much easier at, from a band perspective where you've got the rhythm guitarist who is kind of doing their thing, lead guitarist is doing their thing, even though they meld? It's not like having two, quote unquote, lead guitarists doing separate lead guitar type licks.
2: Definitely. I mean, I I, I joke about this with with Linda all, all the time. With my wife, she she's a drummer and. A, I say, you know, drummers, for example, don't have the luxury of being able to lose the plot for a second. They've got to be going all the time. All right. in, in most rock bands, if you're a guitarist and you kind of blank out, you can stop and you can kind of like, you know, disappear for a couple bars and then gain your, regain your footing and get back in. On this television stuff, you can't do that because you're constantly part of the puzzle. You know, you, yeah. if, you, if you drop out, if you, if you aren't doing that thing, the song's not right. You're not just playing cowboy chords while somebody sings. You gotta, you know, you gotta do what's needed in every moment. It is a different kind of thing.
0: Is that is that possibly why we only see what there's three records total for television?
2: I guess. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, that, that's all speculation. I mean, I think I think the two of those two guys. But I saw television at the Roxy in L.A. in 1978 on the Adventure Tour. And I was, okay. I was very young. I was very excited. And even then, even before I understood did band dynamics, which I do quite well now. Even then, I could see, man, Richard Lloyd does not seem happy. And he was yeah. on the front of the stage, just Poe faced playing his parts like he was half there and not that happy to be ha- even half there. And Verlaine was front and center and being the star of the show. And I kind of felt like you know I can see the tension in this band. I can see where it, yeah. it might not be satisfying to everybody at all times. So yeah, it, maybe that's why there's only three records. <laughs> and why and why and why Richard left the band after they reunited not long ago. It's
3: like he, he, yeah. he
2: rejoined and I mean I think he's he was in the reunion in '91 and then he got back in the live bands ten years ago and doesn't want to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's he's still a surly figure. In fact, uh, Wayne, if uh, one of our our fellow podcast buddies, John Lamoureux, did an interview with with Richard uh, I don't know, six, nine months ago. And um Richard didn't like John's style of interviewing. John John is very when when he's excited about a topic, like he will interrupt people and he's he's not doing it to be rude it's just he's like super excited about the topic and richard about 20 minutes into the interview is like yeah i'm not feeling this anymore <laughs> yeah, and so he, so so he, so he stopped the interview and and you know john was super disappointed cuz you know he's like marquee moon is one of my favorite records of all time and yeah so
2: well try try being being in a band in a small econoline band with Two four piece bands together <laughs> for three weeks, and and it, and he's he's a very you know he's a, he's a very unique individual, but he's a actually a great guy. We became really good friends, but he yeah. he's going to tell you what he thinks about stuff. He's, he's not going to hold back. He's he's got very definite ideas about things now, and he's also very passionate and curious and engaged in what other people are doing. He's not self centered or a narcissist, but he's got yeah. his credo about the way things should be and how you know what you do and what music is all about. So like, I can see where if, if, if you were rubbing the wrong way, you might say, I'd rather just not do it.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Did we get, did I get scores yet for friction? I took us down a path. Didn't.
2: Sorry. <laughs> there, there, there I I'm, there, I'm there with a the three.
0: I'm like, you know, again. Okay. Yeah. and then Wayne,
1: a six. I love that. That, that kind of funky, the funky bass that's kind of wrapped around that other, the first guitar in the beginning. And then I just love how it it, it, it has that because I know Brian Eno did some demos for him and they didn't, they didn't necessarily like his, 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 his ideas. And it seems like maybe they they got a few of them because it definitely has a a, a, a talking heads feel, but then it goes into that ramped up Stooges thing. and And then, and the way it goes back and forth, I just loved it
0: yeah i like the back and forth as well so this this got my six as well all right next song is the title song here's Marky moon And also the longest song on the record clocks in at, uh, 10 minutes, 38 seconds. And all I can say is, uh, my note here says, how great are those guitar riffs?
3: Oh
2: yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. oh my gosh.
2: Yeah, it's a riff. It's a riff. Everybody wants to learn. It's just like, it's like, it's, it's so simple. It's so simple to play, but it's so perfect. The, the, the main, the main riff, the one, you did it, dan it, dan it, and that, that thing is, yo. Know, Elementary, but but it's incredible, and then the line around it is mind blowing.
3: Oh, it's just, great.
2: It's, just great. Per, it's just a perfect song. It's just like everything about it is just incredible. And the thing is that I that I've learned well, you anybody can learn if you listen to their live performances or bootleg and things like that. And but I've also learned by reading about them and by getting to know Richard, you know, a bit and, and Fred Smith as well a bit. Is that um these were everything was scripted. Everything was you know there w- there was no improvisation. It was orchestrated or written and done to the letter the way it was meant to be. So when you hear Marky Moon, you know, it's, you, know, you can talk about bands like yes. And Genesis and, 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 ELP being great, you know, musician bands, prog bands, and no, no knock on them. there, They're great. But this, this is as proggy as anything that they, somebody would actually yeah. put that together like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This was one of two singles that were released off the record. Uh, didn't chart in the US, but it reached number thirty in the UK. Um, which again go back to my my topic of ten minutes and thirty-eight seconds. So they actually split up the single. So Marky Moon part one is, is three minutes and thirteen seconds. That's on side A. And then side B is part two, which is the remainder of the of the song at six minutes and forty five seconds. So I thought that was interesting. Old school. Yeah, I don't always rely on Wikipedia, but I did for, for this. And the one thing from Wikipedia, there's an entry that says its commercial success in the UK was partly fueled by Nick Kent's rave two page review of the album for Enemy. So, of course, I had to look up the review and I want to see what your reactions are to to this little snippet from 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 that review. All right, you guys ready? Yeah, mm hmm. It says, uh, forget all that New York sound stuff. For starters, this music is the total antithesis of the Ramones, say in all those minimalist aggregates. To call it punk rock is rather like describing Dostoevsky as a short story writer. This music itself is remarkably sophisticated, unworthy of even being paralleled to that of the original Velvet Underground, whose combined instrumental finesse was practically a joke compared to what Verlaine and company are cooking up here. Each song is tirelessly conceived and arranged for the maximum imp- impact. The point where decent parallels really need to be made with the best West coast groups, early love spring to mine, the birds cataclasmic eight miles high period, or, um, and then he talks about the doors. Um, it Says above all, though the sound belongs most indubitably to television, in the appearance of Marquee Moon at a time when rock is so hopelessly lost within the labyrinth of its own basic inconsequentiality that actual mus- musical content has come to take a firm backseat to attitude, and all that the wor- all that word is supposed to signify is, to these ears, little short of revolutionary.
2: Nick Kent was a great writer, great, made, great records, made great records too, actually.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, you guys know the, the, the story of, of Kent with, um, with uh, the sex pistol. So he was, he was the one that was assaulted by Sid Vicious with a motorcycle chain. Mm. <laughs> so he was right there. He was there.
2: But that, that's a great write up. I mean, it is, it's, it's funny. Cause you know, when you, when you hear this record, like there's certain bands we think, where did this even come from? Where are they getting this from? And you know, you, you, the West Coast thing is true. I can, I mean, I can hear a lot of things in there. I really do hear Quicksilver Messenger Service when I hear this. Yeah. um I know they they cited um, on thirteen Floor Elevators and Influence. They covered Fire Engine. I could hear that there. And obviously, there's a lot of jazz there. I mean, there's a lot of Coltrane and Albert Eiler and things like that. So there's a lot of weird elements, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound like anything. You know, I mean. I guess yeah. you, you could see, you could say, "Well, it sounds a little like early Patty Smith, like horses." But they were contemporaries; they were feeding off each other. So right. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you come up with a song like Marky Moon. I don't know where that comes from.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, re- I'm gonna bring up Patty's, Patty's name here in a, in a couple songs because okay. I definitely, definitely hear some of that uh, later. But yeah, Marquee Moon is just, and this is one of those songs. I, I know that I've said this before on the on the podcast, Wayne. Uh, where I've been critical of really long songs. If it's just long to be long this, I didn't, I didn't feel that it was a 10 let, and a half minutes. Uh,
1: let me, yeah. Let me tell you this story. So I, okay. every, I listened to this record probably, I don't know, 10 times in the last couple of weeks and every, and a lot of the times I would listen to it on the way home. So I get in my truck to go home. I put it on before I get home. Marky moon starts And I'm I'm loving it. I'm listening to it. And at some point, every time, I would almost shake my head like coming out of a trance. And I would immediately look to see where it was at. Because I was mesmerized. I was hypnotized by it. It was in that Mm -hmm. long instrumental section. And anywhere from six minutes to actually one time eight and a half minutes. So (laughs) it can't carry 10 minutes. But this song, easily, I did not even notice that it was sick. And it needs that last like there's a last minute and a half that yeah. They, yeah, maybe they could have s- cut some of that out, but that last minute and a half is crucial. And this song does this song easily carries six, seven minutes before you even know.
2: Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And, by the, and by the way, we, 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 in in list of things that Dream did ripped off. We blatantly ripped off that last minute and a half with the fake, <laughs> end, the fake ending of Marky moon. We said, let's do that on Halloween from our first album, which uh, we did the exact same thing. We said, wouldn't it be great to just kind of end the song and then start it, start it up again and just fade out? Same thing. So that was obviously, if you if you want to name one place where I've stolen blatantly <laughs> television, it's right there.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, uh, this, is, this is my top score. Uh, Wayne, what do you got?
1: I, I gave it a five, but this whole front side is just... Uh, Loaded. It's, it's just it's one of the best side A's that, that exists
0: yeah and then Steve your score
2: top score I mean and the thing is there are other songs on this record I might put on at different times for, for various reasons but this you know you can't deny the, the majesty of this song it's incredible it's yeah. As, yeah. As, great, as great as great a rock song as there's ever been it's, 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 it's the, if you're a guitarist this song is the bible you can ask any of the bands we've spoken about. I saw, I saw Wilco cover this at that same Solo Sound Festival that you were talking about earlier. At that oh, end.
0: that's right. They yeah. Them.
2: they did a version. It's like you hear, when, when you hear them play it, when you hear people talk about when people attempt it, you know that's like, you know, Leviticus. That's like, that's it. That's the stone that the guitar Moses brought down from the mountain.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. All right. So this is where we would be flipping the record over. And this is. Uh, Uh, First track on side B, this is Elevation. What do you, what do you got on Elevation?
1: I'm going to say my score on this is low and it comes down to a couple of things. Um, Cause I love the opening riff and I, my favorite solo is on this is in this song, but there's a, there's a disjointedness to the, to the chorus. I mean, musically it's clunky. And then um, I, and this is completely on me, but every time he would say Elevation, I could have swore he said television. <laughs> and yeah, then there's a there's this uh, guitar, super clean guitar that plays this real kind of grating riff over the and it does start to wear you down. But it's not it's once again, I'm I, I'm I'm ranking these songs, but I don't dislike the song at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. Steve, what do you got on elevation? I've got I've got a, a six, my third
2: favorite song, and and a, it could easily be my favorite on any given day. I I think this, you know, one thing about television that that you know, a, lot, a lot of people maybe don't realize is the solos that Richard plays and how good they are. And and he plays a solo on No Evil" that is like you know, come on, that's an incredible solo. And he plays he plays the first solo on Marky Moon," which is amazing. This is a solo he played. He also played the solo on "Ain't That Nothing" on the next album, which is incredible. So he really played. Even Tom Flynn gets the credit as the guitar hero, Richard plays some of my favorite television solos, and the solo on Elevation alone makes it something that I just want to hear all the time. And I actually I do love the song, and I even I, you know, the same thing you said about that way about being disjointed is what appeals to me about it. I even liked the little bit of wordplay, word play, which I think was inten- had to have been intentional. Television don't go to my head. Elevation don't go to my head. <laughs> I think that had to be real, but just yeah. just the solo alone. Put it away up there
1: for me yeah that that is my favorite solo on the
0: record <sighs> yeah yeah the solo is good the rest of it is you know it's middle of the pack for for me as far okay. as uh, the, the scores go um wayne what, what's your score on this i gave it a two all right and then steve six and then this is my four uh next song is guiding light Brought up, uh, or or you brought up uh, earlier, Steve, uh, Patty Smith. This this to me, I could totally see this as a Patty Smith song. <laughs> um, I could totally hear this song on horses. It has a very um, what's the song? Birdland kind of has a Birdland feel to me. Uh, if you are familiar with that uh, that record, I'm I Wayne. I know that you are not a huge Patty Smith fan, but I am anxiously awaiting for somebody to to pick horses. As their oh, record yeah. to talk uh, about, horses. yeah. Um, what 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 do you guys have on Guiding Light?
1: Um, you know, it's funny. I noticed one thing. I noticed listening to it was when you have this a uh, record that is so guitar driven and so uh, where the, the guitars are just stealing the show. The minute you play a keyboard, it cha- it sound you you recognize it right away. Yeah. Like there's a yeah. uh, there's a piano in this, and it changed the whole. Like I know that ultimately it doesn't sound terribly different from from the last song or even the next song, but it that that keyboard just like it stopped me in my tracks and made me listen to it a little bit differently. And like I say, much more poetic lyrics and reading through them, I just had to focus on the one, which is oh, but tell me, how do I say? I woke up and it's yesterday. Do I again face this night? Guiding light, guiding light. I was like, that one taking it one piece at a time, that whole idea of waking up in the same day again and again, and needing, you know, either that person or passion to help guide you through it or past it. Um, So that one, that one line, that one section of it is because it's overly poetic. It's very college poetry major.
0: (laughs) Steve, what do you got on this song?
2: I mean, it's funny because for a record, that's my favorite record. I I would choose like this, I think side 2 kind of gets into a little bit of a lull. Um, I don't you know mm-hmm. I don't want to be a spoiler alert, but the next two, the guiding light improve it. I think kind of let me put it like this The other six songs are six of my favorite songs of all time. The this this one in particular I think it works mainly because it's a breather. It's a it's a it's a gentle breather after the intensity of the first five songs. So you know it right, works. Right. It's not a song I go back to. It's not a song I go back to that often.
1: Yeah. Okay yeah there is a there is a jaunty like nature um almost to it that it's very it's very different from from what we've had to this point in the record
0: agreed yeah uh this is my three steve Two. what's your score Two. and then wayne three also all right next song is prove it Said that there were two singles that were released on the record. Um, This was the second single. Also didn't chart in the U.S. but did in the U.K. I guess it peaked at number twenty-five on the U.K. singles chart, which I think is a really interesting choice for a single because I think I didn't know that. Yeah, in my opinion, it's a good song, but I think it's the least dynamic of any of the songs. Um, Because I, even though. The previous song, Guiding Light, is a little more of a l- lull piece, like, like you guys said. There are some dynamic parts to that. Prove it? Eh, I don't know.
2: Actually, this, yeah, I'm, I'm kind, kind of like the way Wayne was talk, talking about Elevation. This is the song, the record, that almost kind of annoys me. I like it. I mean, you know, it's still, it's still a great song and a great record, but I don't like the lyrics. I I, I. I, I, I I don't like the group, the, the vibe, the kind of you know. There's so much about the song I don't like, and I can't believe it's on a record. I see it's my favorite album. Yeah, you know, it's funny because <laughs> I, I feel like, in a way, if you took off "Guiding Light" and prove it and replaced it with "Little Johnny Jewel," then you'd have yeah. you'd have perfection. It would be it'd be a perfect record, but then it wouldn't be Marquee Moon. It wouldn't be the record we know. And maybe and different. maybe having that one song that's better than these two, in my opinion, anyway, it would. It just wouldn't have the same. Pace. So I think these songs now feel like they they fit the vibe of the record, but I don't. I don't think I've ever said, "Man, I want to hear Prove It' right now." Probably never.
0: You know, I'm I'm listening to this in my in my headphones while we're talking about this, and l- let me let me see what your opinion is on this. So you you said that this doesn't really have the same vibe as the rest of the record. I totally get a two thousands New York movement type of feel for this like i could i could see this on a strokes or a hives record for mm-hmm, instance
1: mm-hmm. oh i i could definitely hear this the strokes uh influence or ha- having been influenced by this to me this is mm-hmm. almost like uh, a bit of a callback because this song is the most as the next most punk kind of song from Sino no evil and so it feels like they give you they kind of They've played you out to this one point, then they then they kind of throw you something that looks a lot like the beginning. And then the next song is because this song is as far from the next song as you possibly can get. That's true. In just yeah. about every way. And I guess I wrote on this one, a lyrically poet poetic, but more like bathroom stall poetic. Uh, very, you know, docks and clocks and mm-hmm. creep leap 100 feet you know chirp chirp birds i do love that the the chorus it descends into that chorus with prove it uh what is it what is it uh just the facts and I'll then try. he ends it you know towards the end it's case closed so it's got a very it's got kind of a real chop chop punk rock feel in the in the chorus but i felt like they 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 had they took they started in one place and they drifted out to this other place and then they kind of show you a little flashback of what you saw originally and then they then they just slam the door with something that's completely different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get, let's get some scores on prove it. Uh, this is my lowest Steve. My lowest. Yeah. And then Wayne. I gave it a four. Okay. There you go.
2: And and again, I have to say, when I say it's my lowest, we all know we it's still a great song. It's It's
1: your least favorite.
2: Yes, It still would be be the best song in someone else's record, but but compared to the others. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're
1: ranking them, not rating them. Yes. (laughs) That's
0: it. All right. Last song is Torn Curtain.
2: I'll say right now because I I know by the scores coming up I was the one who liked this one the most I love this song I just think this 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 one you know it's just incredible album closer it's an amazing song it's so foreboding it just you know it, it, everything about this song but the playing the the the, the last solo where, where it just kind of just changes key and goes to this whole different place is so jarring this it you know, you come to this point which is you know, which is the, the landmark of a great record where you've kind of been. You know, a lot of records, especially in the CD era and after, are front-loaded, and you know, and, and kind of by the time you get to the end, you're like, you're not paying attention anymore. This one is the great finale that makes you realize <laughs> this is a great record. I, I can't say enough great things about this song.
0: I, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and I know that television drew lots of comparisons to the Velvet Underground. I think this is this is the one song on the record that I've that I hear that influence most prominently. Mm-hmm. And then we t- we talked about the length of of the song Marquee Moon. So I haven't really talked about the lengths of the songs on side B. So they're all five minutes or longer. This is the longest on side B. It's six six uh, minutes and fifty seven seconds. Um, and I think my my only criticism on this is I didn't feel like it really got into its groove until about three and a half minute mark, and then at that point. I really kind of, I really kind of dug it like um, once they kind of get through, I don't even know how to describe it. I, and it's not even so much that they're going jam bandy towards the end. It's just, I felt like that it took a little while to get, get going.
2: Well, I, w- I will, I don't agree with that because I think the song is perfection from start <laughs> to finish. But, but I will say, That's right. like I say, there's that, Wrong, solo, that solo near the end. I think it's a Berlin solo. And when that happens, that just knocks my head off, and I think that that's kind of when it goes to a different level. So it does, it does end really strong. It's it, it, uh, yeah. it's it's just kind of you kind of you're lulled along because it's kind of it's a beautiful song, beautiful. It's a really gorgeous chorus, almost like, almost like the kind of chorus that Berlin would have in his solo records later on. It Feels almost more like that kind of thing. But yeah. then, but then when you hit that solo, I think we know that we're talking about it. It's just like whoa. <laughs> it, what what happened there? Who, who said something nasty to somebody and got them angry at that moment? because it just kind of right come from place.
0: Yeah, that that yeah. that solo is great as yeah. well. There's so many good solos on this record. Oh my gosh!
2: Oh, thing, yeah. And And the thing is, on top of it, on this record is is we haven't talked about this at all. But besides the arrangements and the playing and the chemistry and all of that, the production is amazing. And and I I'll share another story of that is when I've talked to Richard about this. You know, Andy Johns produced the record. And, uh, right. and, and I think Rich has written about this in his own books so not. thankfully it hasn't been written about but, but he came down they came down to the session and he said look you guys go out and you know get get a bite to eat or whatever and I'll get the things set up and I'll get the sounds together and we'll cut the record so they did and they came back in and Andy had worked on um, I think a, lo- a lot of the up on records I think he worked on physical graffiti anyway and he got the John Bonham drum sound because that was his signature and they came in and they heard, you know, this massive bottom drum sound and they were just, you know, they said, No, that's not what we're doing. You know, take get that sound stripped and on the, and they and to Andy Johnson's credit, he said, Oh, you guys want like a velvet underground thing. I get it. So they just covered rid of all the effects and just made it the way uh, it's been. Which the yeah. production on the record, on this record on Marky Moon, is so natural and in your face and present. It's just it's the space and the the separation and it, it, perfect, but I, when I talked to Richard, when he told me that story before long before his book came out, he told me that, and I was aghast. I said, "Oh my God! You know, thank God you guys put your foot down. Like I can't even imagine." And he says, "Well, I could have heard it the other way too." <laughs> I said, "No, Richard, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely wrong."
0: <laughs> Are there any demo versions of that with that big bombastic drum sound?
2: I don't think so because because to the story, I think they immediately block that. I think they, they right. that will not happen.
0: <laughs> right, 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 all right. Wayne, any anything on this? Well, just to go along with that, also,
1: kind of, they actually recorded by major labels for years and wouldn't sign because they wanted to be able to produce it themselves to get the sound that they wanted. So, I mean, that's pretty that's pretty punk rock in and of itself to to, to, sure. to remain poor in New York City when there's. When there's you know tens yeah. of thousands of dollars yeah. just waiting yeah. out there, all you have to do is say is sign your name. Yeah. So I think that's that goes right along with that. Um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna preface my score by saying I came a long way. I came into this with uh, thinking they were overrated, to which I was 100 wrong, and and this would put this in in my top you know 100 favorite albums of all time, uh, but. That being said, I I only could go so far, and I am a little bit more of a lyrical guy, and I am more of a punk rock guy. And this song got proggy, and <laughs> and it and and it didn't. It was every second of six minutes and fifty six seconds, and so I it couldn't it couldn't hold me. I, I still I still don't think this album should be changed. I think th- it is perfect, just like Steve said. This is this is exactly how it should be, and this is just unfortunately my least favorite song. Okay.
0: And then Steve, what's what's your score on this one?
2: I gave it a five, which which is to say that it's right up there for me. I and mean, that it, that's a great yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah. And this is my two.
2: There you go.
0: So um, I know we're all wrong. Um, <laughs> it's, all, it's all it's all good. Uh, this is usually the part where I would go, uh, so did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? Or um, or should I stay in the in the quote from Prove It? Should I say this case is closed?
2: I believe this case is closed. I think I think, I think, we, should, I think we will be laid down the law.
0: I think so, too. All right. Yeah. Any, any guesses what number one is? See no evil. See no evil. Uh, average score of 7.33. Uh, Marquee Moon was right behind that at a average score of 7. Um, so that's our one and two. Number three was Venus. Number four was friction, and then we had elevation, which uh, rounded out our top five. That's a, that's a solid yeah. top five.
2: Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah.
0: I know. We missed a, we missed Torn Curtain for you with our scores. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Sorry I'll, I'll,
2: I'll, I'll make up for that with plenty of talking about it.
1: <laughs> I, I just like to say, this is... Uh, this is everything that every critic says it is, and more. And and this is, I would, I stand behind. This is one of the best side A's that that's been put on to tape.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yep, Steve. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely,
2: a lot of fun. It's really great. I, yeah, it's, 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 we've talked about television and baseball. It's like, come on,
0: <laughs> what more do? What more? Yeah, what right. more do you want? Right. Yeah. So, so, Steve, remind our listeners where they can find all the happenings of you and Dream Syndicate and Baseball Project and w- everything else that you're doing.
2: You can start at my website, um, stevewynn.net or dreamsyndicate.com. There's a lot there. I'm um, on Facebook at Facebook uh, slash stevewynn. And I've been, for the time being anyway, doing, um, doing weekly shows on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern time on, on my Facebook page where I play... Home gigs because I miss touring. So th- there's those are some places to start. And uh, our newest Excellent. album. Our newest album. If you do like television, you're probably going to like the new album, um, The Universe Side. Which, so, so check it out.
0: And and I I would give the endorsement. I've listened to it a number of times. Um, I work from home, and I I always like to have music going on in the background, and um, it's great. Great work day music so yeah. uh right. yeah it's, Thank you. it's fantastic all right so last question and uh this is how we got introduced to you so i ask all uh, all of our guests uh so who do you know that i don't know who should join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records
2: whoa um that's a great question well i'll tell you something we talked about him earlier and i'm a friend and also a big fan. chris Forsyth i think is out there and a scholar of music, a great guitarist, and the only problem is he might have wanted to choose this record. So I thought to find something else. But I know he can do it, so that—that's my, my recommendation.
0: Let's do it. Yeah, get the introduction. We'll, okay. we'll that would that would be a lot of fun.